Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to episode 94 of Maximize Your Influence. I'm Steve Olson here, and I have a Kurt Mortensen in Denver, Colorado, on the phone with me. And he's out changing the world, training people on how to not say stupid things in the world of persuasion. How did that go today, Kurt? Um, well, I mean, we had some blunders we can talk about earlier on. But hey, the weather's been good. Denver's always a fun place. And the topic of the year is how to influence people without authority or without being the boss, how to influence up, influence to the side. So I'm going to focus on that for three days because people are wanting it. And that's been a huge issue because it's easy when you're the boss. But if you're influencing after the CEO, that's where people run into challenges. It's amazing how much influence you have when you sign people's paychecks, right? Yeah. <laughs> people realize how much power they have as far as being able to deal, influencing up to the side. You just have to have the right techniques. It works really well. What kind of group are you teaching? Are these uh, engineers, or what, what are we dealing with here? This is a, a spattering. I've got some from the Department of Defense. <laughs> <laughs> I've got some food manufacturing companies. I've got a, an airline. I've got, uh, just off the top of my head, a beverage company, a beer company, <laughs> a casino. <laughs> anyway, that's not all of them, but it's just different spattering, which makes it great. There's a lot of different feedback, insights, different things that people are running into. The main thing is how do we influence better? That's pretty weird. Did your publisher set that up? Yeah. <laughs> it's just, just a kind of a funky group. All you need is the people from City Sewer Quarterly or whatever that that's journal right. was. I need the sewer people so I can uh, sign the article. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Well, good luck in Denver. There are a couple more days. You got to go to a place called Jack's downtown, J-A-C-K-S. You know, I think I saw that on a walk because I am downtown, downtown. Yeah, Jack's is solid. solid. A lot of a lot of great seafood, which in Denver, what? But they do. They they do a good job. So you'll thank me later if you go to Jack's. All right, Jack's it is. We got our food coverage on the line now, and we'll take care of it. And for those of you on the Jacks staff that are listening, you can go ahead and send my gift card. Uh, just email us, maximizeyourinfluence at gmail.com. I'll let you know where to send the gift card for the shameless plug. That's right. Yeah. Two gift cards. Completely shameless. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, great. Well, we've got a geeky article. Great article in Inc. Magazine about the 11 things that you really don't mean. The art the well... Technically, the title is, please quit saying these 11 things you really don't mean. And there are expressions out there that we get used to saying and we get tired of. And a few of them are actually persuasion killers. They trip some very negative subconscious triggers in our prospects. So if we're saying them, we might just think we're using a harmless expression, but that's not really the case. And the author gives a few of them. Some of them are better than others, and some of them, some of them are just annoying, and some of them really kill the persuasion process. But now that I think about that, Kurt, saying it out loud, if it is annoying, it would kill the persuasion process. I would think so. Anything uh, annoying kills the persuasion process. Yeah, you're not going to add a 13th law to the laws of persuasion called the law of annoyance, are you? That actually could be a good one. <laughs> annoying them into submission probably wouldn't work. But uh, yeah, annoying can really probably be under the law of connectivity because there's no connection when you're annoying. And my daughter was doubling down on the law of annoyance today. 
<laughs> oh man, she was coming at me hard with that one. It didn't work. Just got me mad. Didn't work. So yeah, the opposite effect. <laughs> yeah. I'll go through a couple of the bullets that uh, the author, uh, Jeff Hayden, which, hey, great, two weeks in a row, we have an author that we can pronounce their name. This is fantastic. So um, when we turn it back over to you and the the Journal of uh, Eastern Homeopathic Medicine, then that'll be a little tougher, that whatever else you use. I'll bring back the wild names. Yeah, please do. So uh, number one, number one phrase that you need to stop saying is it's not about the money. <laughs> From the article, uh, Jeff says, yes, it is. If money weren't an issue, you wouldn't even think to bring it up. By the way, there's nothing wrong with money being the primary driver at all. Of course, if you say it's not about the money, you could prove it's not about the money. You could forgo that raise, give back that bonus, take less equity or profit. I thought so. <laughs> if it's not about the money, focus solely on what's most important and leave out the pseudo altruism. <laughs> Way to go, Jeff. I like that one. <laughs> um, number two, that sounds great. I'll let you know. It actually doesn't sound great, but you don't want to hurt the person's feelings. How many times have we heard that one in sales, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> number three, I'm a giver. Uh, truly giving people generously, selflessly, and without expectation or return. They give because their happiness and their success comes from someone else's happiness and someone else's success. Giving people give because that's who you are. Do you walk around saying, I'm a man, I'm a brunette, or I'm an American? Of course you don't. That's who you are. You don't have to say it. <laughs> people know if you are or you aren't. Number four, I'm just thinking out loud. Actually, you've had the idea for a while and you think it's great, but it's a lot more fun to come across as if you're super creative and just dreamed up the idea on the spot. <laughs> Somebody did that to me today. And uh, I was thinking about our show. And so I got uh, I got irritated. <laughs> um, how about number five? This one, my wife hates when you say, no, it's fine. <laughs> In fact, it's far from fine. But you don't want to talk about it anymore, right? I mean, if somebody is really excited on board with something, do they say, oh, that's fine? Doesn't happen. No. Doesn't happen. Yeah. Doesn't happen. Here's a good one. We're not looking for additional sales channels, right? Yeah. We don't want to make more money. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, Jeff, the author, says, who are you kidding? Every company wants more sales. You're just not interested in working with that person. <laughs> Take that one personally. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Take that one personal. Uh, number eight. Let me see what I can do. <laughs> Odds are that you can't or won't do anything, but at least you can pretend you'll try. I'll wrap it up. Oh, geez. These are hard to choose from. All three of these are great. Uh, let's, yeah, we all know the let me be honest one. That, then that's lame. That we'll just. Too much. Just spit them all out real fast. Okay. Let me be honest. Easily the most annoying because that implies that you have not been honest until then. Uh, number 10, with all due respect. Yeah. <laughs> and he, uh, if there's that movie, uh, Talladega Nights with Will Ferrell, where they, they make fun of that. So when you're saying with all due respect, uh, don't you, know, you don't respect that person. And number 11, I may be wrong, but no, you don't think you're wrong. You think you're right. Otherwise, you wouldn't have said that. So there you go. I'm going to post a link to that on the blog. Uh, 11 things that you really don't mean, please stop saying them. It's an entertaining read, if nothing else, but I think you'll find it helpful because some of those cheesy sayings can creep their way into our vocabulary and they are not good. Anything to add on that, Kurt? Yeah, a couple that I've been guilty of, uh, the you wouldn't understand implying they're stupid, <laughs> or even worse, and I've done this in a seminar where someone asked me a question and I 
not my proudest moment, said, well, let me dumb it down for you. As <laughs> <laughs> you think that one through, yeah. So we're all a little guilty. We just say things without thinking about it sometimes. But as you know, every word matters, and that can offend people real fast. Especially <laughs> now that we're so politically correct, you can't say anything anymore yeah. without offending somebody. Might I suggest next time somebody says that, just say, listen, stupid. Try that instead, okay? That's right. Yeah, you're going to get it. Just, yeah, it's just going to come off with a bang. There's, You'll be everybody's favorite. Yeah, let's offend everyone. Yeah, yeah, that's what we're trying to do here on the show, if nothing else. We just offended the dumb people. Now, what are you thinking? <laughs> like they would know if they're offended. <laughs> they don't even know how to put one foot in front of the other, do you guys? <laughs> Surprised they figured out how to download the podcast. There you go. Continuing with the offense. That's what's great is we can just rail on them because I don't think they know how to put in earphones. And they wouldn't be listening. They're, try, they're not into personal development. That's oh, why they're yeah, dumb. Yeah, exactly. We're totally in the in the clear here. We can just let them have it and they'll never know. There we go. I'll, I'll buy into that. And if they did listen to the show, they're too dumb to remember what happened and they'll just forget to call us and complain. Man, you're just on a roll. I guess so. If you're a dumb person and you're mad about what we've just talked about, or if you have any other feedback, comments, questions, uh, insults for us, because occasionally we should be on the other end of this thing, go ahead and send them to us at MaximizeYourInfluence at gmail.com. And as always, subscribe to the show. And you know what? We, we, need, we don't ask a lot of you listeners. You know, I'm going to ask something of you. If you can leave us your comments on iTunes. For those of you that subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, you can leave reviews there and you can say, this show's terrible. They insult dumb people. Or, hey, this show's awesome. It showed me how to get chicks or whatever you're listening for. <laughs> okay. Go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes. We would very much appreciate it. So, Kurt, we want to get into something that every persuader has to deal with. Uh, the more that we use phones and communicate on them and the more numb people get to phones the more we're finding that persuaders have to leave effective voicemails for others that are going to get them to return calls or just get them to do something because it really does seem like voicemails just go into an infinite black hole these days so you've got some tips for us on on how we can leave voicemails that are going to elicit some kind of reaction because Look, if you don't have a prospect that's going to engage with you and talk to you, you're dead in the water, correct? Correct. And like you say, there is a huge trend of people not returning phone calls, people with their voicemail full. I mean, how do you deal with that? People that only text now or people that just never get back to you. But voicemail is still a big thing, especially internally within companies and even externally if you're trying to get someone to call you back. First of all, let's talk about the complaints about your voicemail, maybe some of the reasons they're not calling you back. you want to guess one of the complaints? Um, you didn't leave a phone number? <laughs> okay, close. You didn't leave a phone number they could understand. Oh, okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. Too much effort to go back. So leave your phone number a couple times, one a little slow. They complain that it's too long. They complain that it sounds like you've left it hundreds of times, which you probably have. And we got to get past that and get to the point where they go to their voicemail and call you back. So let's talk about some tips. So one interesting study that did just come out from one of my geeky scholarly magazines that I do read is that most people, when they leave a voicemail, they say, hey, it's Kurt. How are you doing? And they kind of go into it. They have found if you leave their name first, it actually has a better return rate and it grabs their attention. Because we've talked about names before. When you say someone's name, it actually triggers a pleasure center in their brain 
grabs their attention. So you would say, hey, Steve, this is Kurt. You can mm-hmm. still do it that way, but make sure you say their name first. That's a good point. You're so worried about us and the message we're going to leave that my name, my name, my stuff, my stuff, listen to me. And that's just not effective at all. Exactly. And it grabs their attention. So that would be the first thing to understand. Now, the second thing, and this takes a little time, we've mentioned this before on the podcast, my favorite word to say, the Zagarnik effect. Okay. So Bluma Zagarnik, Russian psychologist, she was eating at a restaurant in Vienna, Austria. And she was watching the waiters and waitress at this restaurant. They didn't have any notepads or anything to write anything down. The restaurant required them just to remember the order. And she placed her order and they delivered it. But she found that once they told the back, the kitchen I guess it would be, that they couldn't remember it anymore. That it was gone. And she did some research and she realized, and this is a Zygarnik effect, that people remembered unfinished things a lot better than things that were finished or crossed off the list that's gone from their memory. Like, okay, Kurt, what does that mean for voicemail? It means a lot. Let me give you a few more examples so you can really understand how this works. Let's say you're watching network TV, it's a movie, you're watching it, and right before that commercial, a knife comes up, it's all drama, suspense, curiosity, you're not sure what's next, and they go to commercial. They do that using the Zagarnik effect because it keeps you around. It's unfinished. You don't know what's going to happen. Another example, you're watching the news, it's time for dinner, you want to turn it off, and they say something like, your drinking water is probably killing you. Stay tuned. You're like, oh, and you want to know, is your drinking water killing you? It's unfinished. You need it finished. So the reason I bring that up, if you can leave something unfinished, maybe arouse a little curiosity, drive a little suspense on that voicemail instead of leaving everything because they're too long anyway, it increases. doesn't guarantee, but it increases the chance they are going to call you back. Okay, good. So that, I think, is probably something that our prospects obviously know that we're doing, but it doesn't make a difference. They know it's still very effective because when I'm watching uh, back in the day, you know, it was famous for this was 24, right? Mm-hmm. Jack Bauer's about to do something awesome. And then all of a sudden the numbers clicking down and you got to wait till next week. <laughs> and did I say, I'm not watching that stupid 24. Yeah, sure. No. Well, you've got to be careful. It's got to be truthful. If you say, we just kidnapped your daughter, give me a call. Yeah, they're going to call you back. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be in trouble. You're going to lose the relationship. So find something that's, that you know they're interested in. It's got to be truthful. And it might be, hey, that report you were looking for, I found it. Or, hey, I just found the perfect solution. Give me a call. I found three things, right? Whatever it is, truthful, you're honest, but things that really intrigue them, that things that you know is going to solve their problem, that's going to hit the what's in it for me, for them, then you're going somewhere versus pulling something out of the sky that makes no sense and is not believable and that's going to get you in trouble. I've talked about that on the show before, and I think I've used part of it as a blunder where some network marketing and and home-based business people are using a tactic now where they send a bulk voicemail broadcast out to a bunch of people and they say, Hey, it's Bob. I got that information you're looking for. And I think this goes a long ways with what you're saying, Kurt, that they didn't say my name. I knew immediately that it was a a massive voicemail blast. And so I knew, yeah, nice try with the Zagarnik and arousing the curiosity. I know that this is just a bulk thing. So like any persuasion tactic, there has to be some sincerity and you actually have to care. Uh, maybe they're getting good results with that voicemail blast, but it's never it's never worked with me. Maybe I'm not their 
their prospect. If you were to look at it just at the theoretical side of things, that actually might work. If somebody does want a home-based business, what do you, what do you think? Is a call, a message like that going to be effective? It must be. They're using it. They probably don't have the percents that they want. But if you know that type of person that they're calling, you know the demographic, you know their hot buttons, you might be able to give a call you back. Although some people, which is odd and strange and weird in my mind, will call you back no matter what. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've hit wrong numbers before and I thought I've hung up in time because it was the wrong number. But then they're calling me right back. Who's this? What do you call me? What am I? Whoa, whoa, where did that come from? So I guess there's a certain percent that no matter who calls you, they're going to call you back. Right, right. So any other tips on leaving effective voicemails? We talked about Zagarnik effect. We talked about using their name. What else should we be aware of? Don't make it sound like you've given a hundred times. You've got to put a little extra effort in there to adapt the message, to pronounce your words, just to not speed right through it, to make it sound personalized. Remember, this is the first time they've heard your voice. And so you need to adapt. And another thing you can do with that too is you can peg their personality a lot of times from their greeting and adapt the message that way. When someone says, hey, it's Bob, you know the drill, that tells you a lot about the person, okay? Or there's music in the background, you hear something like, hey, it's Sally, your call's important to me, I'll return your call in 24 hours. Those things tell you a lot. You can't peg it 100% of the time, but you can adapt your message based on their greeting and make your message sound that it's personalized to them and that you haven't given 100 times because when it sounds like you've done it 100 times, there's no reason for them to call you back because you're just another salesperson. Right, right. So you get the message of, hi, this is Sally. Hope you're having a great day and please leave me a message. You know, your message should be something like, hey, Sally, it's Steve over at XYZ Company. I, I just wanted to talk with you for a minute because we have something over here that I think would solve your problem. Why don't you give me a call back at blah, 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 right? And that's a very amiable, how are you? If it's Bob, Bob, leave a message. Hey, Bob, Steve over at XYZ Company, we've got a product I want to discuss with you in under about two minutes. Uh, essentially, we're, we can solve the XYZ problem for you. Give me a call back. You don't want to start giving too many details because then you kill the Zagarnik effect, right? Exactly. Just enough to get them interested. Just try to come up with like a headline or something to grab their attention. Go, go by the National Enquirer if you need to, or go look on America Online's really good at this and the headings they put on their news articles where you're like, whoa, what's that? They make it sound so intriguing, so suspenseful, and you have to read it, and you open it up, it's not all that. That's a whole other story. But you're basically, it's kind of a headline where you're just really grabbing their attention, getting them interested. Yeah, and as with any persuasion tactic, they need to be dairy-free, okay? <laughs> Your prospects are lactose intolerant, so, yeah, you got to avoid the cheese. Make sure it's something. I think I, I may have said this on the podcast before. I have a friend who I flipped some properties with, and and we had a, a legal issue, not between the two of us, but against somebody else, and we were talking this over with our attorney. And we told him, hey, well, you got to go in, and you got to tell the judge this. I can't remember what it was. And the attorney said, ah, it doesn't pass the red face test. What are you talking about, the red face test? So I can't say that to the judge without my face turning red. <laughs> I'm like, okay, good. If you if you can't say it with a straight face, if you can't mean it, then don't say it. It's that's not passing the red face test. Or we we would probably call it the cheese test. The cheesy red face test. There we go. That's right. That's right. Oh, and by the way, on the topic of cheese, 
I had, uh, there's a place called, oh shoot, I'll remember it and I'll put it on the blog. It's in Newport Beach, California, and they specialize in kind of side dishes. So you go there and you order all these awesome sides and that's, that's the meal. And they had this one, if you want to have a heart attack in a good way, they put this really thick cheese with like green onions and bacon bits and things in it in a bowl. And then they just dump a bunch of tater tots on top of it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's when dairy really comes through. I mean, that's some good stuff. I'm more concerned about how do you create something like that? What is the mindset or imagination that goes into even creating something like that? Even thinking about something like that? Don't think, just shovel it in and everything will be fine. Now take some Tums and some blood thinners and run a couple miles the next morning and you might get away with it. But wow, that's, you know, when you think of cheese, I mean, how can you not think of the tater tot volcano or whatever it was they called it? I mean, it was good stuff. I'll have to give that one a shot. (laughs) Yeah. So there's another great one they had too. I'll save it for the next show because we didn't talk about food today. And, you know, it's, I mean, the people certainly don't tune in for our persuasion tips. (laughs) <laughs> it's all about the food. Yeah, it's it's the food. They don't want to tune in and hear about persuasion and have us insult them. So that's why we got to put the food in there. Tangent alert. So any other tips on leaving effective voicemails, Kurt? I just say have fun. Make it a game. If you're in desperation mode and you hate doing it, it's going to show through your voice. Have fun. Make it a game. Keep track of your numbers. Be creative. One thing I've done with the sales team before, when they were leaving lots of messages, we would have word of the day. If they could put green jello or anything strange like that in their voicemail somehow and make it sound good and realistic, they would get spiffed at the end of the day. Whoever had the best one. Over the phone, don't sound like you hate what you're doing because it will sound like it. And another tip, kind of what I was thinking here is, uh, there's a great book out there called The Power of Full Engagement by a guy named Jim Lohr. And he's written a lot of... uh, a lot of good books about business and such. And he did a bunch of studies on athletes and how they can perform at a high level. And he found that they're only fully engaged for a certain period of time before they have to let go. So maybe you have that where you're like, oh, I've been working for six hours. That's actually not good, right? To work six hours straight, your your effectiveness and your efficiency is going to wear down. You're not meant to do that. And so he studied and found, like, for example, competitive tennis players had this mental ritual that they would go through in the middle of matches where they would forget about tennis for a while. Just forget about it and do something or think about something that they liked. And so the whole premise from a business standpoint was, you know, work for two hours, sprint, work hard, and then take 10, 15 minutes to read a novel, go for a walk, do some push-ups, watch a clip of your favorite TV show, something that disengages you completely from what you were doing. Because that was the irony, he said, is that to engage fully, the powerful engagement, you got to disengage. When you're, when you're too busy working on it for so long, you'll burn out. You won't be effective at all. And wow, if that's not true about leaving voicemails, uh, I don't know what is. Because you can sit there pounding that phone, you get tired, you turn into a robot, you become very ineffective. Do it hard, do it the right way, take a break. And then get back at it. That's great advice because we can only handle so much. And your mind should know, okay, I'm going to do this for 30 minutes. I'm going to hammer out. I'm going to focus and do it right way. Take a 10-minute break or whatever the number is. But you got to feel when your body's done because you're just wasting your time anyway. You're not fully engaged. Yep. Cue the homer. Homer, go. Go, go, go.
there's Homer, so apparently you got a crappy architect at the hotel you're at, huh? Yeah. I guess I don't know if this is kind of my blunder. I probably need to take some ownership in this because it really affected the mood of my audience. So I'm in the look at so I'm in this large hotel downtown Denver. They've got towers on both sides of the street. All, all underneath the street's part of the hotel. They've got conventions. They've got rooms. And it took me a half hour to find the room I was presenting in, which is not good. I usually I always give myself more time. I always give myself time to find it, but that was just like way too much time. Mm-hmm. Nobody could find it. There were no signs. People were frustrated. They were mad at the hotel. And of course. We know in persuasion that mood matters, so I had to backpedal, take some ownership. Even though technically it wasn't my fault, I probably should have known ahead of time, get some signs or tell the hotel or do something. But I had to quickly adjust the mood of the audience using humor and a few other things because when they get there upset in that foul mood, as you know, people in bad mood, they look for things that are going to go wrong or why it won't work out or why they don't like you versus people that are in a good mood do the exact opposite. They're looking for things that resonate with them they're looking why they like you why it's going to work out so that would be the blunder i'll share some of that with the hotel but when you want to make it as easy as possible you can never assume that they're just going to track it down on their own and a lot of companies make that mistake because they find the room all the time because they work here not realizing when people come that they're going to have time that they're going to have a hard time finding the location they need to be at that's very true. Yeah, that blunder is partially on the hotel partially on you you're probably kicking yourself because you know better um, and it's when you are doing conferences and and things like that. It, that's hard. And that's, you know, professional sports teams. They do a walkthrough the day before the game. They want to be able to see, hey, where am I getting dressed? Where am I running out the tunnel through? You know, where am I going to play this game? Because it's such a an important part of the visualization process. And uh, I know when you and I have done seminars before, we try to, that's so hard is about controlling the room because you're flying from across the country you don't know what you're walking into so you got to you got to absorb as much of that as you can beforehand I, I was listening to a sports talk show the other day and they were interviewing a comedian and I can't remember what the comedian's name was but they were talking about what 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 he does as a comedian and it was really interesting to hear him Kurt talk about how look my jokes are like 10 15% of the equation here the rest is the atmosphere Right, you take my act and and you do it at a dinner party where we're at somebody's house and people are lounging around on couches and they can come and go and they're getting food in the back of the room. I lose so much momentum; it's so much harder to get these people to laugh because I have no control over them. But when I can get them in an arena and they're all facing forward at me and everything is dark but the light is on me, they're basically told, "Hey, you have to laugh." So all I got to do up there is get up and tell a cr- couple of crappy jokes and people go hysterical because I controlled the atmosphere so much. And wow, controlling the atmosphere makes all all the difference in the world because you can get so much uh, so much faster when you have that control. Because like you found, wow, you're starting from the negative 20-yard line when, when these people are walking into that room because it was a bad atmosphere. That's right on, and I broke my own rule because I always, the night before, at least go find the room, or if I'm in a rental car, I'll drive to the location, and man, that has saved me so many times, but I got a little lazy, it's in a hotel, it's not going to be that hard to find, I'll find it in the morning, and it bit me in the rear end because you want to solve as many problems you can right up front, so when you get that audience, the seating's right, the temperature's right, they can find it, and you know the drill on all those, but that's very, very important, especially the first day you're starting. Yeah, definitely. You want to manage that as 
as much as possible. Marketing companies and advertising companies and retail storefronts, they spend billions of dollars every year trying to control that atmosphere. What do people see as they walk through the door? When do they see it? Where is it? What are they smelling when they see it? The lighting. I mean, this is a big deal. And you just cannot afford to to put it off and, and, and just leave it to chance as to how the people are going to experience your product. Yeah, malls, casinos are all on that list. That could be a whole show as far as them controlling all the subconscious triggers they can to keep you engaged and get all the money they can out of you. Yep, yep. Well, that's good stuff. Hopefully uh, everybody knows how to find the room tomorrow through that labyrinth in the hotel in Denver. Throw them under the bus. What chain is it? Sheraton. Sheraton, shame on you. <laughs> I, I've actually not been too thrilled with them lately as well. I got to stay at one in Anaheim all the time, and I just, it's, uh, it must be franchised out because it's a pretty crappy Sheraton. Yeah, I know that one. And uh, now we're on my ice maker, it does not work on my floor. They want me to go two floors down, and it's not a problem because it's two floors down. I'm like, no, that's a problem. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, you know, Converse, it's the same brand, notch up the Weston. I love the Weston. They, they just hit a home run with me every time. Yeah, the Weston and LAX, that's one of the good ones. Yeah, there's a big difference. So I'm wondering who's yeah. owning what and doing what and managing what because there is a big difference. Yeah, Sheraton does seem to have gone downhill a little recently. So they're not going to be sending us a gift card like Jack's in downtown Denver is. <laughs> well, we'll just have to make for it up for the Jack's is going to send us a big the gift card. Yeah, yeah. Good luck when you get a call in a few minutes. As Mr. Mortensen, we'd like to invite you to check out of your room. <laughs> That's right. The fire alarm's going to go off. They're going to evacuate me and not let me back in. Yep. Yep. Hope you enjoy the Marriott. All right. Well, <laughs> thanks again, Kurt. Everybody, thanks for listening. Send us your feedback to maximizeyourinfluence at gmail.com. Check out the blog, all the en entries that we have, links to the articles at maximizeyourinfluence.com. We appreciate you listening, and we'll catch you next week on another episode. See you next week.